Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Lori Droxler, and for some of you, I'm also known as Mama Drox um, here at church and in the community. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and my family. I have been married to my husband, Rick, for 18 years. Um, we have two amazing daughters, uh, Kayla and Lainey. And with Joey's permission, um, we are announcing to our church family that we are in the process of adopting Joey. Yeah. So we would ask for our church family to be praying for us, um, as this is a transition for all of us, but we know that, you know, God is great, and he put Joey into our lives for a reason, and we feel really blessed that he's here. Um, so before I get into the message, I want to tell you how we came to Hope. Um, so Hope is just this amazing church, by the way, that I love, but we started coming here in 2014, and the way Hope operated wasn't that they were out in the community just saying, putting Jesus in your face over and over again. I would see signs on people's lawns. Then we went to the Norwood Haunted Park, and they were giving out flashlights. I didn't know it was Hope Community Church, and I next day went into my pocket, pulled out the little flashlight, and there was a tag for Hope Community Church. I'm like, I think we're supposed to go here. And then we look online, and lo and behold, Batman was going to be there that day. And Kayla loved Batman, so I was like, we're supposed to come, duh. We walked in one day, and we never left. But what I do want to tell you about how good God is, is that Rick didn't walk in with us. And I tell, the, I tell it like a movie, right, For the, when we were at the Barnstormers Theater, so... We're there, the doors open up, the sun is shining, I turn around, and there's Rick. And Kayla and Lainey and I are all tearing up, and he sits down and he goes, something told me to come. And I go, yes, it's the Holy Spirit. And he goes, no, it was Home Depot. And I was like, what? I was so confused. Um, but Rick comes even if I can't come now. Um, and that is a testimony to this church and the people. And truly, I mean, this isn't my church family. This is my family. Um, they've been through a great deal with us, um, which I'll talk about some, some on here today. I'm going to do a little mom brag, though. Happy birthday to Kayla. And that's not even my brag, so... For those of you that heard my testimony in 2014, uh, I think you guys are aware that I'm a workaholic. I work really hard to try to balance the two, but my kids will tell you most days I'm pretty crappy at it. So my kids, I think they've learned to communicate with me while I'm working, so I'm not like fully paying attention, even though I should be. So Kayla texts me right about the Samaritan's Purse trip in Tennessee, I must have missed the first part of the text, but the second text by itself was, can I go by myself? And I'm like, yeah, you're an adult. Of course you can go. So maybe like a week later, I'm like, who are you driving with? She's like, mom, they canceled. I'm going by myself. I'm like, 
what? Maybe I should drive with you. Maybe I should get you a flight. Maybe all the mom stuff that I just wasn't ready for. But this girl went 700 miles by herself to the Samaritan's Purse in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where she spent her week and drove home and got home yesterday. And I am proud of you for that. So proud. And I think you'll understand why in a little bit of why Kayla is so special. And if you were here for Rose Marie's message, the irony is I didn't know Kayla was gonna be part of her message and part of mine too, so. But when I first talked to Pastor Josh about speaking, I said, if I promise not to cry, will you let me speak? And Kelby was in the room and he goes, don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> the thing about it is I am your resident crier. Um, when I stood up here in 2014 with Kayla to give our testimony, we literally cried from the time we said good morning all the way through to the end, the whole time. Uh, when we go on mission trips, I am your crier. Um, I just feel things. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm angry. Even during the Olympics, some of these highlights, if you're my Facebook friend, just know if I posted it, I've already cried about it. And Rick will be like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, just watch this awesome thing at the Olympics. But that's me. That's who I am. But so I want to tell you how this message was laid on my heart. And the message is called, God, I can't, but with you, I can. So right before the beginning of the pandemic, I was watching a TED Talk uh, by Sarah Montana. And she was this young woman who was 22 years old, and she was talking about forgiveness. And what she had to forgive, I cannot even fathom. So let me say that. My stories will nowhere near come to that. Um, her brother and mother were murdered by one of her brother's friends when she was 22 years old. She literally lost her family. And the thing that she was struggling with was forgiveness. She knew she had to forgive him, right? She knew she had to do it. She said, I forgive him, but she didn't. She, know, she knew in this TED Talk that saying you forgive someone is not the same as doing it, right? So she said this guy was hooked to her side, dragging her around, making her do dumb things like quit her corporate job to write a screenplay. Turns out, she says, there's no fake it till you make it in forgiveness, even though that's exactly what society wants us to do. So this piece was a little mind-blowing to me, and not that I know any other religion because I know Christianity and I know my relationship with Jesus, but in her research, she learned that in some religions, you're not able to forgive someone unless they've done the action to you. So think about that for a minute. She needed to forgive this person, but if she was in a different religion, there was nothing to forgive because it didn't happen to her. It happened to them. So she, she went down a whole rabbit hole. Actually, if you guys, Sarah Montana is her name. I highly encourage you to watch her TED Talk. She, she did a whole bunch of research. And so wh where she left was why do it? Why forgive? It can't heal you. It won't save you or the other person. It can't make you a good person, at least not all by itself. Because that's not what forgiveness is designed to do. Forgiveness is designed to set you free. 
After the TED Talk, man, the Holy Spirit sometimes just keeps me up at night. And I knew that I had some research I had to do, and I had some things I needed to wrestle with in my own life. So I started looking, like, how many times is the word forgive in the Bible? It's actually in the King James Version Bible listed 95 times. So I'm thinking it must be important, right? 95 times it's in there. The Greek word translated as forgive carries a wide range of meaning, including to remit a debt, to leave something or someone alone, to follow an action. And so I'm going to tell you this. Forgiveness is an action. It is not an emotion. So I'm looking for some audience participation. I know how you guys love to do this. So no matter how insignificant, how small, how big, right? How many people in here have hurt someone and needed forgiveness? Okay, solid. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to share a story of how I hurt Kayla. But before I go into that, I need to share some of her backstory, which she has given me permission to share some of her story. So I think for many people that know us, know that Kayla is adopted. Um, Kayla's mother is my biological sister. And when Kayla was two years old, she was removed from the care of her mother and placed in foster care. She would take us about a year to get custody of her because she was in a different state. Um, she came to us when she was three, about to turn four, and we adopted her when she was five years old, and truly a blessing um, for us. So Kayla um, caught a glimpse, glimpse of her mom uh, the day of my brother's funeral. Uh, my brother had died of a drug overdose. He was 30 years old, and um, Kayla saw her mom that day and we had some conversations. Kayla always had hope that one day, um, one day her mom would get better. One day that we, we would even lay in bed joking sometimes, like on the day of Kayla's wedding, her mom's gonna be like, excuse me, that's my daughter. That's not yours. We, we joked about all those things about her being at prom and, and uh, so many things. And uh, I would say about a year later, a little over a year later, uh, Kayla came to me and said, um, Mom, I'd like to see my mom. Now, my sister had been struggling with addiction for a long time, and since my brother's death, her addiction became worse. And I said, no. What I didn't know is that two weeks later, my sister would die. So... Truly, one of the worst days of my life um, was the minute I got that phone call and I knew my sister died was, oh crap, Kayla, my Kayla, how do we tell her? How, how does she, how do I tell her that the hope that she once had is gone? And all I could think about was that conversation from two weeks prior. I had zero intention of ever intentionally hurting her, right? 
as a mom, I was just trying to make the best decisions I could make for what I thought was good for her. Did I have regret? The answer is yes. Yes, I did. And what followed was how angry Kayla was with me. And she was nine. You know, she didn't really understand, but she was hurt. And friends, so I ask all of you, how could I ever repay that debt? I can't bring her back. I can't take away Kayla's pain. What could I do in that moment? She didn't want to come to me for months. I didn't hug her. She only went to Rick. Even though Rick and I made that decision together, I said no. It took Kayla a lot of time. She was aggressive at times with me. Um, she was broken, right? I was having a hard time processing, and I'm an adult. How, what? I understood all of her. No, I didn't really. That didn't happen to me. So I sympathized and empathized with her emotion. And as I said before, when your parent passes away from addiction, those hopes of reuniting, those hopes of being good enough are gone. I can't say that I would rewrite that day over again where I said no. I, I don't know the answer to it, honestly. I, I've played it in my mind many times over the years. I mean, maybe if I knew, maybe if I could have set it up in a, a different setting where it would be safe, I, I would have done it for her. Um, I talked to Kayla a lot about this. You know, she did hold on for a long time, but she said it was so heavy. She couldn't carry it anymore. She released the debt. And for that, I'm eternally grateful for. I love Kayla so much, and if you can see the things that she's doing in this world, it's amazing. And so now we try to do things like the overdose awareness walk. And a couple years ago, Kayla participated, gave her story in front of thousands of people. And in that moment, for the first time, I knew that she felt guilty. She felt like it was her fault that her mom died. If she would have visited her, maybe her mom would be here. But that's not the truth. That's not the truth. That's just what she told herself. So now we just find ways to honor Bridget. We find ways to to honor her life. We know that that's Kayla's biological mom. We know that Kayla will always love her mom. Um, and what this has done for Kayla has blessed her with a serving heart. And so even though I'm sorry for the pain that I unintentionally caused her, it, it happened. So Kayla, thank you for letting me share part of your story. I love you for that. Um, so I want to read some Bible verses about forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Matthew 6.14 For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Luke 6, 37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. 
Forgive and you will be forgiven. But this verse right here, the one on your bulletin, this one, it's something else, I think. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And I'm not going to lie, right? I, I, I'm like, what? I mean, how many times can you get hurt over and over again and forgive someone? So another raise of hands. Thank you, audience. So how many people in here have been hurt by someone and needed to forgive or are still struggling to forgive? Awesome, thank you for your participation. So, before I get into this part about how I've been hurt 77 times, um, I have to give you some backstory of my own, um, which you'll find we have some generational, we would call them curses in our family, but we're chain breakers, so we're breaking that. Um, yes, thank you. So growing up, I was one of five children. I am the middle child. Uh, my father and my mother were functional alcoholics. My father was physically, um, emotionally, mentally abusive. He was extremely violent. Um, I say they're functional because most of the, they could work, they could hold jobs. Um, however, our weekends, our holidays, are some of the most horrific memories I could ever have in my life. Um, I can tell you the last time my dad ever hit me, I was 13 years old, um, and he beat me with a two by four. And it was a life-changing day. Not only did he beat me, but he, he beat my sisters. Um, and I don't wanna tell their story because I just need to tell mine today. Um, but I remember my sisters and I sitting on the bed, um, talking and wondering which one of us would kill ourselves so that we could make the family better. Like maybe he would stop drinking, maybe he would be better, maybe our life could be better. But something else happened. Um, I was in middle school, my sister was in high school, we went to school that following Monday, so we were in two different schools and I beelined for the first time ever to the guidance counselor, even though my dad told me repeatedly, if you ever tell, I will kill you. He told my mom over and over again, if you ever leave me, I will kill you. But somehow I found myself in that guidance counselor's office, and what I didn't know is that my sister was also in the guidance counselor's office that day. So obviously we'd be taken from our home. Um, we went into foster care and we were split up. Um, I went with my younger brother and sister, and my two sisters went to a different placement. Um, what I will tell you is the day that we left, my dad did stop drinking. My mom stopped drinking. Um, they did a lot of therapy. Um, there was a lot of damage to fix in our house, because when I tell you Walls were damaged, things were broken. But the truth was, we were broken. Um, 
So my parents would be sober for seven years. We would return home. And I would say it was a pretty awesome seven years, honestly. Like I had a different, different life, a different dad. We moved away. We were all together. Unfortunately, um, after I graduated high school, my grandfather died and my mom and dad would relapse that day. And I knew it was a matter of time, so I was grown. And like I said, I remember the last time he ever hit me was I was 13, so I knew he was never going to hit me again. But I will tell you, he beat my mom for years, years. During the pandemic, when we were preparing the bedroom, which would wind up being Joey's bedroom that we didn't know was going to be for Joey, but we just knew we were preparing that room, I found a notebook, and I found this poem that I wrote in 1997. It says, here I sit, sad and confused. My heart has been broken, my body abused. I want to love you more than life, but you continue to beat on me and your wife. Is that love? No, it's pain. We have everything to lose and nothing to gain. You took my childhood, you took my soul. You messed up my life and now you have control. Can you feel my pain so deep inside? I'm tired of running and trying to hide. It's time to face reality and let you know I'm facing the past and letting fear go. With or without you, I will be just fine. I'm taking control and my life will be mine. One day you will see the pain and hurt you cause me. I won't give up. I won't let you win. I won't let you hurt me ever again. Now, I want to tell you, friends, that in 1997 when I wrote that, would be the last time my dad would ever hurt me. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, in, in 1999, uh, my dad was drinking and driving on a motorcycle with my brother on it and got into an accident. Uh, my dad was resuscitated on the scene. I think he died for a couple minutes. Um, and if I'm just being honest, I wanted him to die. I know that's probably the most horrible thing you could ever say, but back then, that's what I wanted. Um, he was airlifted. He was on life support. And I wrote a letter to him because I felt like, how is this guy going to die? And I don't get to tell him. I don't get to tell him about how he impacted my life. He did wake up, and I would give him that letter. Um... But a lot of times, to protect my mom, many people in this room had to tolerate my dad. Um, I would say that up until 2016, he beat my mom. Um, the last time he ever put his hands on her, my mom was living at her brother's house. And I just want to set this up just for some perspective. My mom was caring for her younger brother who had pancreatic cancer. He had been battling it for two years. Um, so he was frail and skinny. And um, my dad hit my mom for the last time. Because my uncle went down there with his gun, frail and skinny, all hundred and some pounds of him, and said, if you ever touch my sister again, I'll kill you. And I remember my aunt calling me so frantic, like, your dad's going to be upset. I'm like, at this point, someone needs to stand up for my mom because she's not going to do it. But 
God just works in some amazing ways. Even through all this, I can tell you that my mom and dad would separate in 2016. And it was one of the most joyous things that ever happened for my family because when that happened, my mom was a completely different person. She was free. She was loved. I'm telling you, friends from when we were little came back in the picture. Friends from when I was in high school came back in the picture. Lifelong friends were there. Unfortunately for my mom, in October of 2016, she herself would be diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Why she was taking care of her brother. So immediately from that diagnosis, it was not a question for Rick and I. We were like, mom, you're moving in. We're taking care of you. And Kelby and another dear friend, Jim Hall, blessed my mom, blessed our family, and built her this beautiful addition where she would later come to Jesus. But something happened while Kelby was at my house one day. So it was March 6th. It was the anniversary of my brother's death. So anytime it was the anniversary of my brother or sister's death, please know I had to pick my mom up off the ground. I had to just, I was always there taking care of her. But that day, I couldn't even move. I knew my mom was dying. And my mom's just skipping around the house, doing laundry. And I'm like, Mom, are you okay? She's like, I'm getting ready to see them. I'm good. I'm like, what the heck? I'm still laying there feeling sorry for myself. My mom's telling Kelby and Jim I need cathedral ceilings. Okay. <laughs> Which wasn't happening. We had to talk her off the ledge. I would get a call on March 6, 2017 from the Ridley Park Police Department saying that a credible threat has been made against my life by my father. Oh, and by the way, your father told us that you're responsible for your brother's death. Think about that for a moment. So, like, I'm twisted up. My mom's dying. It's the anniversary of my brother's death, which I had obviously nothing to do with. He died of a heroin overdose. I wasn't his supplier. I didn't even know he was doing heroin. So, like, what are we talking about? And I go into Kelby and Jim, and I just start crying. And I say, whose dad does that? Tell me whose dad does that? Oh, wait, mine. And they were so gracious. I think they learned even more than they wanted to know about us through that time. A couple hours later, we would receive a second call from the psychiatric hospital saying that there was a credible threat against my husband's life. So, okay, you want to mess with me? I'm kind of used to it, but now you want to mess with my husband? No. No, no, no. It was a hard time. It was a really hard time. And the weeks to come, from March 6th to March 22nd, my dad would leave horrible voicemail messages on my mom's phone. And he would tell her that we didn't love her. Um, he would tell her lies, right? Like what the devil would do. But thank God she never heard them. Because when Kelby and Jim finished that room, I think it was the day they finished. My mom goes, get that furniture in there right now. I thought, okay, get the furniture in there. 
And she says to me, take me in the shower. Let me smoke one more cigarette. I'm ready. It took her eight days to pass, which was like the longest of my life. Um, what I would say is that my mom deserved to die in peace. She deserved to know how much she was truly loved. And when I tell you this church family poured into us and my mom, our friends, my mom had the most amazing five months of her life from her diagnosis to her death. She showed me what I want to be like if I know that I'm dying like her. But man, when she died, I couldn't even make the call to him. I had my aunt call. Um, he just had been released from the psychiatric hospital. Um, however, I did muster up the strength to say, if you want a private viewing with her, we will coordinate that for you. And he declined, which was fine. I would find myself very anger, very angry, very bitter. Um, but what I was still doing was delivering food outside of his window so I knew he had something to eat because I was conflicted as a Christian on how I'm down there in Philadelphia feeding the homeless and my dad has no food. So I would leave it at his window against the request of my husband, obviously. And I would run away, get in my car. Sometimes Kayla did it with me. She was usually my ride or die on that stuff. And um, Mickey Pilsen came to me and said, let us feed your dad. And I said, no, I love you guys so much that I can't have you get caught up in this. And I remember going to Josh, snotty crying. I think he's become used to it. And saying, Josh, God got it wrong. He got it wrong. Why didn't my dad die? Why did my mom die? And I remember him saying to me, God got it right. My mom deserves to be with Jesus. She deserves to be with her children and she deserves to never be hurt again. So I take a lot of comfort knowing that. Um, towards the end of 2017, I literally can't make this stuff up. I'm at work. I get a phone call from my sister saying my dad has been hit by a car and he has broken his neck. And I needed to go to the hospital because my two sisters live out of state. And I can tell you on the way there, I yelled at God. And I asked again, why didn't he die? I know that sounds so horrible. Why didn't he die? 
I was so mad. I was so broken. There's a couple people in this room who saw me in 2017, 2018, just laying on the floor sometimes. I had to come face to face with them. I was still so mad. I could not even forgive him. But I was like torn. Like, honestly, no one in the family talked to him. No one. I wanted him to go to a facility, obviously, so I didn't have to have that on me. I just got done taking care of my mom. I was grieving the loss of my mom in that year. My uncle died two months later, and my two foster children that had been with me for three years went home. So when I tell you I was broken, I was so broken. So my dad got back on his feet. During those interactions with him, I could tell he was suffering some, some mental illness. Sometimes he would call me Debbie. Sometimes he would just say things that just weren't right. So once we got him with the senior citizens agency that provide meals and got him back on his feet. I cut them ties. The last text exchange we had was on 1-1-2018, and I remember it very well. It was a happy new year, and the response that I got was basically that he was not my father. My mom had an affair, which none of that was true, by the way. None of that was true. He is my dad, whether he wanted to be or not. And so I stopped. I, and honestly, if you know me, you know I'm one of the most caring, loving people, but I just broke. I was so broken. Like, I just couldn't even do it anymore. And I cut him off. It's the first time I ever cut someone off like that. So it was tough. And for the years to follow... I was still angry. I was still bitter. I was still grieving. But let's fast forward to 2020. And Karen Peterkin was hosting the study Treasures of Darkness, which I needed more than anyone could know. My dad had relocated to Georgia. And again, no one in the family spoke to him. But that did not bring me joy. That did not bring my mom back. That did not make anything go away that he did. Oh, the way the Holy Spirit works with me is the Holy Spirit would just lay something on my heart and then it just goes and goes and goes until I act but how do I do this? How do I forgive him? I was so tired, I couldn't carry it anymore. God, I can't, but with you I can. I repeated it for nights. And when I tell you, I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And I just want to back up a minute. When I first went to Treasures of Darkness, I did not complete my homework for the first night. And I was sitting right next to Karen, so I was like so scared. And, but then I was like, I'm not going to do that. I fell into that book. 
And what I learned during that time was that bitterness will grow. It will grow. It will start coming out of your mouth. Like, I'll be mad at my dad, right? But I'll be so bitter. I'm taking something out on Rick. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So there was one night I talked to Kathy and Sue and Joyce. I needed some wisdom. What do I do? My husband doesn't want me to have any contact with my dad, and I completely understand why. And the women poured some wisdom into me. That's for the protection. And what they said is, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for Rick. And I tell you that I released it. I released it, and it felt so good. felt so good. God, it's so hard when you're carrying so much. That night I would come home and I would talk to Rick and mind-blowing. I'm like, hey, I feel like I want to reach out to my dad. And he said, okay. But please know, we have some boundaries. Your dad will never come into this home. Okay. Fair. You will never make our children talk to him if they don't want to. Check. Fair. Fair. So, when I released it and I knew I truly forgave, this was my choice, I felt led to do this. I sent him a text. He responded very grateful for my text. I will tell you that this year my dad and I spoke on the phone for the first time and he cried. He cried and he said he was sorry and he wanted to be the dad that he thought he could be. And he wanted me to help him bridge some relationships with other people in the family and I said, I can't do that. I can't do that for you. But we can try. Unforgiveness leads to anger, bitterness, and it grows. I want you guys to know that. Unforgiveness holds us back from fully receiving God's forgiveness, true peace, and joy. And friends, I don't know everyone's story in here. And I do not want to diminish anyone's pain. But what I want to tell you is that forgiveness will allow you to be set free. When you truly forgive and cancel the debt, the pain can no longer consume you. The truth is, I could have never, ever forgiven my dad on my own. God, I can't, but with you, I can. I say that so many times. What I will say is forgiveness does not always mean restoration of a relationship, and I think that that's really important. It does not mean that anyone should forgive and go back to a dangerous and abusive relationship. You can still forgive and not have that relationship. 
you can still forgive and create healthy boundaries. So for me, I think you guys know I've experienced a lot of loss, and I'm not an expert on forgiveness, right? I'm just up here telling my story. But the question that I ask myself when I'm not speaking to someone is, if they die tomorrow, am I okay where I left it? Do I have peace where I left it? And if you do, or if I do, then that's fine. But if you don't, if you don't, and you want to restore that relationship, then reach out. But you have to have peace with your decisions. So how do we forgive? Forgiveness is an action, and it is imperative to the Christian living. It is a struggle to exercise in such a broken world. And the truth is, I think you all know, since everyone raised their hand, forgiveness is hard. It is hard. What you should do is analyze your emotions and ask some of the hard questions. And friends, let's not forget that God has forgiven us. Pray for yourself, pray for your offender, and depend and trust God. And even for my non-believers out there, I want you to know that there are medical studies that show if you do not forgive people, it impacts you mentally, physically. Like, it's not just for Christians, but we have responsibility as Christians to forgive, right? That's what's in the Bible. God sent his only son to die on a cross for our sins, knowing that we would never be able to repay the debt. When I think about that, I'm like so overwhelmed with emotion that God loved me so much that he would send his son to die on the cross for me. What I will say is, I, I read this recently, when, when your hands are full holding grudges. They're not open to receive the blessings, so you might want to let that go. If I have any note-takers today and you take anything down from this, these two lines might be it. I don't want anyone to tell Josh, but why he was away, Andy Stanley and I became best friends. <laughs> he might get jealous. I don't know. Maybe pastors shouldn't get jealous, but probably he will. So my good friend, Andy Stanley says that forgiveness will not erase the memories. Call out to the Lord Jesus and say, I have canceled the debt. These memories will no longer consume me. And this line right here is so powerful. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of my hurt, Forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. And that's my message for today. All right, sit down. Sit down. I just want to pray real quick before I go. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity today to share my story and to refrain from crying so much. But Lord, if anyone here is struggling today to forgive, Lord, I just pray that I just pray that the Holy Spirit will move through them, Lord. I pray that everyone in this room knows that they are loved and that they are a child of God, Lord. And I pray that when people think that they can't, they just remember God with you, they can. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for our pastor. Lord, I just pray peace and joy over everyone's life. In Jesus' name, amen.